Thank you for joining us again for Centuries and Saints. This is your host, Scott Matson. So glad you could be with us for this episode where we continue our look at the attributes of God and specifically looking at God's justice. So today we're going to talk about how justice involves both personal piety, but also corporate responsibility in our society. So stay tuned, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. We are talking about the attributes of God. That's where we've been for the last few months. And last week we looked at the fact that God is light, uh, that he is incomparable, and that his ways are beyond finding out how glorious he is. And we looked at a couple of those attributes together last week. This morning, we're taking a look at justice as an attribute of God, that God is just. Okay. And then next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll take a look at the sovereignty of God. And then the week following, Lord willing, we're just going to wrap up this series with an overview, and then we'll move on after that to some new things. Okay. All right. So speaking about the justice of God, uh, when I mention that word, there's probably a lot that comes to your mind, okay? Um, justice, what does that mean? What does that look like? What I don't want you to think is justice in sort of this cold, heartless, um, sort of, you know, some people would say Calvinistic sense. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good in, in different theological systems within Christianity, okay? And Calvinism is one of those systems, and they all have their pros and cons. But a lot of times we hear things about God's justice and especially next week, God's sovereignty. And immediately our minds just sort of go, Ooh, Calvinism. I don't like that. I don't want your mind to go there. And the reason is because of this, we're studying God. Okay. This is at its base. This is just theology, the study of God and God is eternal. We know that the triune God is eternal, which means that who he is, is who he's always been. Okay. So these attributes that we're discussing, uh, these are, in that sense, then eternal. These aren't just things that were named after a 16th century French Protestant, you know, in Geneva, Switzerland, John Calvin. Okay. Um, All of this was around a long time before John Calvin ever came on the scene or Martin Luther or any of those guys. Okay. This is God we're talking about. And so the things in his character and his nature that are a part of who he is revealed in the scriptures, those things are who he is for all eternity. So they predate any theological system. So I only point that out because I know sometimes our minds can go there, and I don't want you to just immediately jump to that and think that that's what we're doing. We're just simply looking at the fact that God is just, as his word talks about, and what does justice look like in the heart of God? How is that one of his attributes? And we're just studying the nature of God. So uh, we're going to talk about that this week, his justice, okay? When we talk about justice, uh, if you're anything like me, at least, I think a lot of us immediately think of what would be sort of called the negative aspect of it. Not that justice is a negative thing at all, but rather the way that it's manifested outwardly. Justice against the guilty. Okay. And that certainly is a part of God's justice. We know from scripture that all of the unregenerate, the unrepentant, uh, who refuse the gospel and choose to live and die in their sins apart from Christ, uh, that they are the enemies of God. Paul says that in Romans chapter 5. And that on that final day, judgment day, which is coming, God will exercise his perfect justice. And he will hand down sentence in perfect justice. There is coming a day of judgment when the unrepentant 
who have not placed their faith in Christ and fled to him for salvation will be judged for their sins. Okay, and that flows from the heart of God for justice. Now, we have to remember a couple of things when we think about this. First, again, as we've talked about, God is omniscient. He knows everything, and he's always known everything. And thus, he does not react in the same way that we do, okay? So God's verdicts on Judgment Day will not be spontaneous, uh, sort of, you know, malicious, rage-filled reactions to sinners and their sin. No, God in his perfect knowledge and sovereignty has always known everything, and thus he will mete out the appropriate punishment uh, for each unrepentant sinner. Again, God's justice tied in with his, his omniscience, his sovereignty, all of his attributes, again, working perfectly in harmony, okay? His justice will be like his other attributes. It's part of who he is, and it will be meted out fairly and justly with perfect justice, Okay. And secondly, as we've talked about before, and it's funny, Reformed theologian R.C. Sproul actually made this point. He said, God is just, but he is not cruel. So God's punishments and the justice due to each sinner will in no way be a violation of his nature as he's revealed himself in the scriptures to us. Okay. So what I'm saying here uh, is when we think about God's justice in this sense, the fact that God is just and therefore sin must be and will be punished, um, we have to think of this and take our theology from scripture, from the Bible, and not from Dante's Inferno, okay? Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with that work, it's, uh, it was written back in the, oh goodness, I believe the 1200s, if I remember correctly, maybe the 1300s, uh, by Dante Alighieri. He was a Catholic clergyman, okay? And for Dante, uh, basically, he wrote this whole thing about how he traveled with the Roman poet Virgil uh, down into uh, into hell, and then purgatory, and then heaven. And it was, of course, a fictional account, uh, but he wrote this account uh, to bring attention to a lot of the corruptions within the church and the papacy and a lot of culture in his day. And it's called, you know, Dante's Inferno. You know, the word inferno, there is the Latin word for hell. And I think a lot of times, uh, the, a lot of the theology that we have about the afterlife and hell and God's justice is taken honestly more from uh, medieval Roman Catholic theology and from Dante than it is simply just from the scriptures. And so, again, God is just, but God is not cruel. He's not vindictive. So his justice and the punishments meted out to sinners on Judgment Day will be perfectly in line with his nature and his character, revealed in Scripture and ultimately revealed in Jesus, okay? And so again, there is coming a day of judgment. God will judge all people. Now, thankfully for us as Christians, and this is the glory of the gospel, that God the Father has already judged our sins when his Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, died in our place for our sins, bearing the wrath of the Father and the punishment and divine justice as our substitute, okay? So for the Christian, for those of us that are saved, God's justice has been completely poured out and dealt with in full on Jesus on the cross, okay? And so that is good, good news indeed. That's the glory of God in the gospel. As Paul says in Romans 3, that in so doing through the cross, God can be both just and the justifier of those of us who believe in Jesus. So he's able to uphold his perfect justice and yet give out incredible mercy and compassion at the same time because justice has been meted out and taken care of. And that's the gospel. 
That's also why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Now, did you catch that? There's something in there that's very important, that when the Father forgives us who are Christians, he's doing that not only out of his grace and mercy, but also out of his justice. Since Jesus paid for our sins, the price has been paid. Therefore, it is in keeping with God's perfect justice to forgive us because he paid for those things himself. Okay? That's an amazing, amazing thing. So, for Christians, for us, for those of us who are born again, our forgiveness does not simply flow only out of the grace and mercy of God, although it certainly does, but it also does flow from his justice. Salvation is, among other things, a legal declaration that God has declared us just because of the price that he paid on the cross for us. And so, in keeping with his perfect justice, we have forgiveness through Christ. And again, that is just once again the glory of God in the gospel. It's amazing. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So, that means that we can rest perfectly as Christians uh, because divine justice has been satisfied. It's an amazing thing. And now we've been adopted into the family of God. So that's one aspect of the justice of God. But now I want to shift our look here at God's justice, and I want to look at it from the other perspective, the other side of the coin, and that is uh, God's heart for justice for all people, okay? Justice for people. Now, as we read through the scriptures, uh, both Old and New Testaments, we would have to take scissors and cut large portions of our Bibles out if we wanted to remove the places where God talks about his heart for the poor and for the oppressed and his desire that his people do not show partiality to the rich or the poor, but he wants justice. He wants justice and vindication for all people. So justice flows from the heart of God, and it's all over the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. So what I want to do here, I found this incredible article uh, online by Dr. Paul Lewis Metzger, He's professor of Christian theology and professor of theology of culture up in Multnomah, up in Portland there. Uh, But he writes this in relation to biblical justice that flows from the heart of God uh, and the Christian. Quote, as we experience the wholeness that Jesus offers, we are to carry his justice forward in the world. We sense God's heart for this in James' epistle. James, like an Old Testament prophet, denounced oppression toward the poor. He saw church leaders favoring the rich and looking down on those less fortunate. James calls for the breaking down of these divisions as God seeks to renew his people, making them whole. The same problem still arises today, especially given the tendency in some Christian circles to downplay social justice while highlighting personal morality. Jesus rebuked this in the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Both individual transformation and community transformation are part of restoring wholeness. While morality and immorality are birthed in the human heart, justice is centered in God's heart. We are to purify our hearts whose desires lead us to sin. With transformed hearts, we are to extend God's justice to the poor, orphans and widows and to show no partiality. End quote. I love that. That is an incredible uh, quote and insights there from Dr. Metzger on biblical justice that 
While the gospel certainly deals with personal morality and holiness, that is absolutely all over the scriptures, especially throughout the New Testament, it also deals with we who are Christians, who've been cleansed of sin, and who are being made more into the image of Christ, sanctification, then taking God's justice and God's shalom and God's heart and extending that to the world that is desperately in need of it. And as Dr. Metzger pointed out uh, in the epistle of James, James, in context, if you read and understand what he's doing there, he's rebuking the rich, the rich believers who were oppressing the poor. And so we see all throughout the New Testament, as well as the Old, God's heart for justice for all people. And that's a beautiful aspect of God's nature, that God is just, both in the sense of salvation and judgment, and also in the sense of wholeness and restoring wholeness to people. Okay, God has a heart for justice. God hates it when the poor and the helpless are oppressed, and he loves it when his people vindicate them and help them and support and lift them up. God is huge uh, about that. I'm going to read another long quote here, but this is a quote from scripture itself. Uh, I'm just going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 58. All right, it's 14 verses, uh, but this chapter here from the Old Testament uh, is God indicting his people uh, because they're fasting, they're approaching him, they're doing all of the things that they were supposed to be doing uh, religiously, but they were neglecting the help and the justice due to others and to the poor and the hungry, and God rebukes them for that. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your soul or your voice, pardon me, heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay. So God in Isaiah 58 here, he rebukes his people because they're fasting, they're afflicting their souls, they're doing all these things, but they were withholding the wages due to their laborers. Okay. They were not providing for the hungry. They were not vindicating and lifting up the poor and the helpless. And God says, you think I'm pleased with this fast? I don't care about this. You're afflicting yourself and going hungry. That doesn't matter. You're not doing justice to the poor and the oppressed in your land. And God says, that's the fast I have chosen. The fast that I've chosen is for you to vindicate the helpless and lift up the oppressed. We see again, God's heart for justice here. It's so amazing. Studying this attribute of God, his justice. You know, again, we see the heart of God in both sides. You know, we see that God is concerned about holiness and that personal morality and sin and the day of judgment and his justice for sin will be poured out. And that is certainly a big part of the justice of God. But that's not the only side of the story. There's another large part of the justice of God that deals with lifting up the poor, helping those that are in need, and treating all people equally with love, with kindness, with the heart of God. That is a huge thing uh, within the heart of God. And I think, at least from my perspective, uh, that in, in some circles that gets overlooked. Uh, and the other side of justice, as far as judgment day and holiness and sin, that's the one that sort of gets talked about all the time. And the more social justice and those aspects of the gospel are neglected. Um, then there are other circles, other Christian circles and communities where the opposite is true where not much is preached about the cross and the blood and repentance and sin, but there's a ton of focus on social justice. And I think that's also a mistake. You know, I think that in the heart of God, again, as we've seen uh, from scripture, that both are true and both are important. May we not forsake the heart of God in the scriptures that we as believers practice justice uh, and, par- and and equality towards people, you know, and love people and lift up the oppressed. May we not neglect our responsibility to our neighbor uh, for theological piety. At the same time, may we not get off course and, you know, forget about saving souls and preaching the cross and sin and repentance. May we not neglect that simply just to do social justice. There's a balance. I think there's a healthy tension in the Christian life and the life of the church, both individually and corporately. And uh, man, my heart, and I think as we see revealed in scripture, God's heart, both are important and both need to be done and be practiced. As I study the justice of God, it just again leaves me in awe and just really makes me want to worship God and, and just really love and appreciate him for uh, this attribute of his justice that is intrinsic to himself. It's just amazing. Love it. And I am just going to end now with one final quote from that article from Dr. Metzger on biblical justice. Quote, In our post-Christian setting, many skeptics view religion as corrosive, divisive, and a source of injustice. But the kind of religion the Bible advocates is rooted in justice that flows from the heart of God. It seeks to bring all things into the wholeness of God. As those justified by faith in the God of all justice, 
we are to experience the wholeness that he brings and extend it as citizens of his kingdom. Well, amen and amen, Dr. Metzger. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Centuries and Saints, looking at God's justice. Now, we're coming up on the end of season two here pretty quickly. We've only got two episodes left, and then this second season is going to be over. I've really enjoyed looking at God's attributes with all of you. And if you've enjoyed it, would you spread the word? And also, on the iTunes store, would you rate us and write us a review? It really helps get the word out. And as well, we are on Spotify, so you can find us there also. Well, until next week, this is Scott Matson for Centuries and Saints, saying thank you and God bless. Yeah.